Oh, I just came to mind, I, whoops, I did want to um, acknowledge that Mark is not here today. We saw Mark the other day as we got on a bus in Salisbury and showed our passes. Hello, he said. How are you doing? It's not every bus driver does that. So uh, Mark said he wouldn't be here. He said, you're coming along, aren't you? You're coming along. Yeah. Move along the bus. No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. Okay. So um, it's said that every, um, every person, every minister, or every preacher has to have a, 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 an opener, don't they, to start with. It's got to be funny. I don't know why it is. You've got to have an opener to get people relaxed. An opener. Well, I've got an opener this morning. It's a can opener. So, what do you call a can opener that doesn't work? A can't opener. <laughs> I've got lots more like that, but you don't want them. Okay, I've got lots more. That's terrible. No, I know. It is absolutely terrible. I'm no, no more, but there, there we are. That's why I don't use them. Okay. Your reaction tells it all. <laughs> Let's see if this thing works. Oh, it does. There we are. Good. So, um, I'm sorry about that, but imagine yourself sitting on a beach somewhere, okay, and um, you have, um, it's in the Caribbean, and um, maybe you're sitting next to an ice bar in a luxury liner, um, which they have, of course, or lying on a catamaran anchor in a pale blue sea with a cocktail in the hand, which is worth two of anything else. Um, <laughs> well... Whether it's a cocktail or mocktail, the sight and taste is like nothing else. I don't know what you particularly like. Um, mocktail or cocktail. Banana, orange, mango or apple. Plum, pear, grape or melon. Strawberry, raspberry, blackberry or blue. I don't know. I don't know. But whatever is your favorite, um, and don't say pina colada. Okay. Did somebody say pina colada? No. Okay. Good. Yeah, we know that fruit is, is beneficial at nourishing. With the right mix, a cocktail or mocktail brings a refreshment to your whole being. Now, whether Paul understood when he wrote this piece about um, the fruit of the Spirit, whether he actually understood all the health benefits about fruit doesn't really matter. He just chose a brilliant illustration uh, to, to speak of what the Holy Spirit can do within the life of a disciple. And in your series, we come to the sixth segment, if you like, or sixth fruit, however you want to term it, <clears throat> that of goodness. But before we do, I, I think we should consider two things, which I think are quite, quite important. The first is this, the context of where Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. Because the context is really quite instructive. So whilst focusing on the nice, safe subject of the fruit of the Spirit, because it is... Um, we should balance it with the robust toughness of the letter. Because the letter is really quite, in parts, quite abrasive. And Paul's letter to the Galatian Christians was early, before the First Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, in about AD 49. And in Acts chapter 15, there was a bit of a, a, bit of a how's your father going on? Okay. A bit of a difficulty. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom, taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Words are there, sharp dispute. 
So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about that question. So the letter was written, um, the Galatian letter, before that first Jerusalem council, is what the scholars would say. It might have been written on the way to that council, and Paul did not hold back in what he wanted to say. It was very forthright. It's quite a fiery letter. Uh, it's not just nice and comfy-wumpy-dumpy. Um, and we see Paul is most assertive, and he faced head-on uh, those who were insisting that to be a real Christian, you had to go back to keeping the Mosaic ceremonial laws, such as circumcision. You, we still have that to be a real Christian. It's alive and well. To be a real Christian, you've got to worship this way. To be a real Christian, you have to do it like that. To be a real Christian, you must have read this and keep reading it, etc., etc. So that spirit of to be a real Christian is with us still. And that's what was happening in Acts 15. And that's the context of probably uh, the Galatian letter. Um, so he will have none of it, will Paul. Uh, he'd not risked his life in spreading the gospel of free grace on his first missionary journey in southern Galatia for these small and young congregations to be tricked and deceived into a return to legalism. He was not going to allow it to happen. So he even had a bit of a row. And these things happen, do they not, from time to time? Uh, and the reason, there's a reason why these things happen, and I think we have to be quite open and upfront about that, about our human nature. All of us. In Galatians 2, earlier in the letter, 11 to 14, um, it's quite an instructive piece where um, Peter is confronted by Paul in very strong terms. And one could say it was a showdown. Are we back to law or fall in grace? What are you doing, Peter? Are you slipping back into your old ways? Which way is crucial? And it was a bit like that. It, it, it was a, a confrontation. And... For Paul, and he writes in Galatians 5 and verse 1, before the fruit of the Spirit, it is, it is, well, it was tough, uncompromising stuff, we know that. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He has set us free. Coming to faith in Christ is the most liberating thing. Uh, some of you, for some of you, it goes back a long time. For some of you, maybe not so long. For me, it's a long time. But as I reflect on that in my life, that that coming to faith in Christ sets us free from having to rely on other things to say somehow in the presence of God I can bring these good things about me and these good things and somehow feel that that's going to be good enough. And the number of people in the British Army who I met who said I don't feel I'm good enough. And I said, we're not Goodians. We are Christians. It is for freedom Christ has set us free. And this is the context very much of uh, the Galatian letter. And it's that cry of Galatians 5 and verse 1 within that chapter that's, um, that's much to the fore. And the pastoral application that um, Paul brings. 
But there's a second thing here that's important that we need to be honest about. And, and Paul raises it with the Galatian Christians. And he speaks about the contrast between flesh and spirit. So when Paul uses fruit as an enjoyable, nutritious, and nourishing element, uh, he does so in the knowledge that such fruit grows from the Spirit of God. And it's in sharp contrast with this business of flesh and spirit. And he describes it in those verses just prior to the fruit of the Spirit. In verses 18 to 21 in Galatians 5, if you read it, he sets the context. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty stark words, actually. And then he says, but, the fruit of the Spirit. And I think that um, those, those words that are described in Galatians 5 are a sharp contrast. And these are desires which come naturally to us because of our human nature. That, I think, we have to be honest about. These things come naturally to us because of our fallen human nature. It's in us. So it's not surprising that from time to time our natural human nature, what Paul describes as, as the flesh, not the physical flesh, but the, the nature that veers towards the wrong, will arise. And Paul is really quite honest about it. And so it is that it shouldn't surprise us. They're naturally part of our fallen human nature. And in contrast, it is the Spirit through Christ who indwells and inspires us to develop a new way of being and doing. And that, of course, is the link to root and fruit. And the vital connection between the root, the Spirit of God, and the fruit, which is the character of virtue. And... Um, Paul makes that connection very clear. Um, it's very interesting with, um, I'm going to quote Tom Wright now. Uh, Tom Wright is either known as Professor N.T. Wright, because it depends on who he's writing to, who his audience is. You know Rachel very well in your studies, which is great, by the way, I have to say. Uh, so Professor Tom Wright, who's a gentleman, he's a lovely, lovely man, he spoke actually to a whole group of um, British Army generals uh, at Sandhurst. We got him in to speak um, to talk about ethics, Christian ethics, and he did it, of course, extremely well. Then he was Professor N.T. Wright, because that was more impressive. If he's writing to some, like he does in these commentaries, he's Tom Wright. Just the style. But what he does, he sets it out in this, this way, and I think it's a great summary. The nine qualities Paul lists in verses 22 and 23, are not things which, if we try hard enough, we could simply do without help, without the Spirit. The point of all of them is that when the Spirit is at work, they will begin to happen. And I, and I find, as I prepared this, a, a, a great challenge again to me about this. These things, it is a very dangerous thing to think that somehow I can naturally acquire these things. 
we know there are some people who are naturally more kind than others. It's a disposition. It's in them. But Paul is talking here about the aid of the Spirit that will promote things in all of us with all the segments of the fruit. So we must be alert to the fact that the flesh and the Spirit are in active conflict and constant, yeah, okay, and in constant opposition to each other. And I think it's being honest about that within our lives, which helps us to take whatever is happening in us uh, in a more, um, I suppose, candid way. So I think we kid ourselves if we think we've overcome the flesh and the sinful nature. We need the Holy Spirit to pull us in a different direction and help us to develop the fruit of the Spirit. And that's a lifelong venture for the Christian disciple. So the three central segments of the ninefold fruit of the Spirit are patience, kindness, and goodness. They walk hand in hand, uh, and they are pretty social virtues. They tend towards our, our interactions with other people. Uh, but they also develop the characteristics internally within our beings, which I want to come on to. So the third thing, we've got to the third point quite quickly, you'll be relieved to know. But it might take a whole lot of time. No, it, it's, it, it might take a whole lot of time. Okay. So the conviction, this is the conviction Paul has in terms of fruit and goodness. And goodness is the fruit we're looking at. Goodness is for a root word, which means generosity. And it's expressed in things material and spiritual. It's to be like God who is good and who creates the good. Remember Genesis chapter 1. What does he say after he creates on the first day light? What does he say? Can you remember? And it, he, and it was good. And that refrain is used all the way through that description of creation. And he saw that it was good. Uh, and the word Paul uses for goodness in Galatians 5.23, um, you don't need to worry about this, but it's um, agathusene. And it's a peculiarly Bible word. It doesn't occur in secular Greek. Paul uses a particular word. Um, and Paul describes the Christians at Rome in this way when he writes in uses the same word, actually, in Romans 15. It's not found very much in the New Testament. But he uses his word for goodness when he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you are full of goodness. And in a disposition, it's in you. There is some good in you. We'll come to the expression of goodness in a moment. But it's in you. In other words, the, fruit is, it, the, the Spirit is doing something in you that makes you intrinsically good as against the desires of the sinful nature. That's what he's saying. Something within you, within your disposition, is being worked on. And he says the same, uses the same word, actually, um, <clears throat> in 2 Thessalonians, again, a very early letter. Our God may count you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. Every good purpose is what? It's inward. And then the act comes after that. So the word that's being used is something that is, is for the interior. And these uses by Paul in Romans and 2 Thessalonians point to the two ways that can be understood in Galatians. Firstly, goodness is the quality of being morally good or virtuous. It's the essence of something. You are full of goodness. 
And it follows the creation story in Genesis 1. And secondly, goodness can be seen as good deeds. It's, and, and that's the way it's used in, um, in Galatians. It's got that twofold meaning. And, and that's well expressed in, in the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, where Jesus talks about us being um, as a city set on a hill with light. Though the word there is kalos, meaning beautiful, the beauty of good deeds. So what Paul is talking about here is about an inner disposition which should express itself in goodness. You're good within, you should express it in good things. What Jesus used, the word he uses, a different word for good, is kalos, which is the beauty of good deeds. I think it's wonderful, actually. It's not meant to be a Greek lesson. But it is, it is meant to say, look, these things are in Scripture. They're, they're brilliant. They are, they're just outstanding. So when Jesus says, let your light shine before men so that your good deeds can be seen, the good is the callous, the beauty of good deeds is seen. And they derive from the interiority, the interior life. So the beauty of good deeds are an outward sign of an inward goodness. They are the practical results of goodness. And as with its twin brother kindness, goodness is both a disposition and a deed. It's a person of disposition and deeds. If you like, a person of grace and works. There is actually one big difference between kindness and goodness. So whilst kindness can be translated as sweetness, and it can, which always helps, Goodness has a bit of an edge to it. Goodness might and could rebuke and discipline. Uh, Jesus showed goodness when he cleansed the temple and drove out those who were making it a market for profit and then healed the blind and lame who came to him in the temple. If you read Matthew 21, you see it there. The goodness of Jesus is clearing the temple and then healing those who come to him. It's the, it's the hard edge and the soft pillow. That's goodness. It's not just the soft pillow. As the Church of Scotland minister, Bible teacher and broadcaster, William Barclay, wrote, the Christian needs that goodness which at the one and the same time can be kind and strong. It's a fantastic word, Goodness. So goodness is hard on issues, but soft on people. Goodness is not afraid to face the issue, but it also shows that with its twin brother, actually, kindness. It has that element of, it, of sweetness as well. So it's justice and mercy. Goodness has that mix of soft pillow and steel sword. And exhibiting goodness means a person who is never indifferent and will bring practical help because... They have a good heart. It's that interiority which expresses itself uh, in good things. In other words, what we are in ourselves, we give to others. And it's the person who does good from a good heart in order to please God. So you might say, well, that's all very well. That's fine. It's all terribly nice. But how do we live this? And the reason I read briefly about Barnabas is because I think he gives us a fantastic example of how we do live this. I read to you those words from Acts 11, where Barnabas is seen as a good man. It's the same word that is used 
that is used, or same root word that's used in Galatians 5 about goodness. Same root, not kalos, beautiful. It's this goodness, intrinsically good within. And uh, he's good in nature, and good whether it is to be seen or not. But Barnabas also exhibited goodness in his treatment of Saul. So, if you read, and I think he's a great example of this, he's described as a good man, same word, same root word as Galatians, goodness, fruit of the Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, what does God say to Barnabas? Almost, we meet him very early on. Uh, Saul has met with Christ on the Damascus Road. It starts to change his life. Barnabas is told by God, go and meet Saul. Go to Straight Street and go and meet Saul. You can imagine Barnabas saying, you've got to be kidding. This man is out to get me. This man, people like me, you are joking. You are not asking me to do this, are you? How can you say that to God? But we do. How on earth can you ask me to do this, God? Well, I'm going. Just go. And this wonderful way in which Barnabas goes. And the goodness of Barnabas comes out in the way in which he approaches Saul, who's been breathing threats to people like him, where he says, Brother Saul. It's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. This is goodness being demonstrated. And what does he do? He places his hands, laying on of hands, on Saul, on his head. It's this most beautiful picture, and actually a courageous picture. Goodness has an edge to it, and can be courageous in the deeds that it does. This was a good action and linked to um, Agasune. Here is goodness in a character, inwardly, and in care, outwardly. I- I'm coming into land, you'll be relieved to know. Any idea who that is? Difficult, isn't it? They all look the same. <laughs> no, honestly, they do. They do. At, th- at that era, everyone looks the same. It could be, it's not John Wesley. Okay. Uh, th- you know, it could be anyone. It's actually Etienne de Grillet. He was a French nobleman who fled his privileged royal courtly life in France in 1796 for North America, where he became a 19th century Quaker missionary um, to the Americas and Europe. When Quakers were Quakers, that's why they were named Quakers, because they, you know, they were pretty exuberant then. And his great saying is this, and you'll have come across it before. I shall pass through this world but once. If therefore there be any kindness I can show, or any good thing I can do, let me do it now. Let me not defer it or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. That is the cry of goodness being issued from a good heart, which the Spirit continually works on us to bring. A 19th century missionary to East Africa wrote home to England and said, they do not understand our Christian doctrines, but they do understand our practical help and let themselves be won by it. And if you think of a a flow of fresh water arising from a mountain stream, it will pour out good natural spring water as long as the source remains Good. So it is with goodness. So let me conclude in this way. This, it seems to me, is Christianity applied. In one way, it is terribly simple. In another way, 
it is deeply complex. And these studies you're having in the fruit of the Spirit reveal perhaps how far short we fall, we fall, of God's intentions for us. But it should not paralyze our desires and intentions to inhabit in greater ways the fruit of the Spirit. These qualities are for all of us, not a select Gnostic spiritual elite. The fruit of the goodness, uh, the, the fruit of the, of the Spirit is goodness. And we learn two things. All of us develop goodness. That goodness is both soft-skilled and hard-edged. So the whole orb of the fruit of the Spirit is primarily revealed in the life, of course, of Jesus, who remains the perfect prototype of what you and I ought to be. And it seems to me it is by the power of the Spirit combined with our intentional desire to cooperate with his work, the tray of goodness will become more and more part of our lives. And in doing so, we will develop so that others may be reminded of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. I hope that's of some small help as you continue in this journey through the fruit of the Spirit. There's a wonderful song that um, was suggested um, to me um, this week uh, as a response song, quite deliberately chosen as a response song. Uh, and we're going to use it now as, um, as we respond to God's word. Uh, it is one that you will know, but it presents us with this business of God's goodness in us. Uh, and it's king of my heart. <laughs>